Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth, I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess, you're from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff, I swear I can't get enough. Listening to you talk that stuff, talk Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, a good morning, a good Friday morning of July the 3rd. And I'm probably talking to a lot of people today that are celebrating the 4th of July because today's the holiday and tomorrow, of course, is the Day of Independence. And we're going to talk about the history of Independence Day. I'm sure a lot of people are doing that, but we're going to talk about it with a little twist because we're going to talk about what our founding fathers had to say about money and how we should, uh, you know, listen to what they were talking about. They kind of gave us some pretty good ideas. And if you look at this day, John Adams wrote a uh, letter to his wife, Abigail, when he was in Philadelphia. They were going through all the process, and this he says, you know, he's going through the— he was meeting with Thomas Jefferson, of course, Thomas Jefferson, the principal author of the, uh, you know, the uh, Declaration of Independence and— they're going through this process, and he writes a letter to his lovely wife, Abigail, back up in Boston. He says, second day of July, 1776. Now, he's off a day, two, you know, two days, but that's okay. Here's what he's saying, 1776. The second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epic in the history of America. That's a pretty big statement for a man that's just going through a hot July day in Philadelphia. He says, I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. I ought, it ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward forevermore. I mean, this guy was excited about the Declaration of Independence. We are, too. My guest today with me is Rob Clement. We're going to walk you through some thoughts and process of what they thought about money and uh, these founding fathers from Sam Adams to George Washington to Ben Franklin. And, you know, Rob, we all know the statement that Ben Franklin, it's become one of the biggest statements, I guess we would say, is a penny earned is what? I think it's a penny saved. No, it's, it's penny a penny saved, saved is a penny, penny earned. earned. And you know yeah. what? I'd like to be a friend of John Adams. He sounds like he knew how to throw well, a party. You know, he did throw a party. <laughs> so. What I liked about it is he's saying from one end of this continent. Now we're talking about the thirteen little colonies on the east coast, and they already have a vision of this great continent of North America and, of course, the great 48 continuous states of the United States. And, you know, I read a lot and, and, and like to study our American history and, of course, the presidents and things. And it, by the time we get up to this, you know, Thomas Jefferson moves through these, you know, the Louisiana Purchase, and then all of a sudden we go through sending out Lewis and Clark and doing the exploration. You know, it doesn't take us long before we are fighting some wars and trying to persuade. We're trying to buy some land. But the idea was we're going to go all the way to the Pacific. Pacific Ocean, and that uh, move us through, and that was a process. But let's talk about the Declaration of Independence. Let's talk about Independence Day. Uh, I, you know what? There's some great data here. I mean, 
we've got some things that we thought we'd put together for you people listening. And, I, you know, it's one thing that uh, it's a good subject matter for it you is. and I. And so what I'll do, let's do this. When we come back, we've got to get traffic and weather. Weather's big time right now in Memphis, so you want to pay attention to what the weather's going to say. But when we come back, we're going to go through some personal finance and, and some guidelines that our founding fathers uh, wrote for us and said, sent in letters. All very interesting day. Great day because it's the day of independence. At least we're celebrating it. It's tomorrow, of course, the 4th of July. Stay with us. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Remember, this material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results, research, investment advice, or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Helping you make the most of your money, Talk Money will return right after this. Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, Contact Haley Kemp at 901-757-5757 or email at hkemp at shoemakerfinancial.com. Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. You know, Rob, coincidentally, we have a little bit of data here that we want to talk about with our with our listening audience. And it's kind of those it's not trivia because it's really history and it's really it's not fact. trivia, it's fact. Yeah. And it's it's kind of important history, but a couple of things here that that most people may or may not know, but here's the thought. Both John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, the only signers of the Declaration of Independence that later became presidents, that's John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, died. On the same day, July the 4th, 1826, which was the 50th anniversary of the Declaration. Not a signer, but also a member that was a part of this Declaration of Independence group. He was one of the founding fathers who became president, was James Monroe, also Mm -hmm. died on July the 4th, 1831, becoming the third president in a row who died on the holiday. But we only have one president that was born on the 4th of July, and who was that? Let's see. Two initials, C.C. C.C., Calvin Coolidge. There you go. Yep, Calvin Coolidge, born 1872, July the 4th, 1872, and he's the only president that was born on Independence Day. So a little, you know, thought process there. When did we start When did we start celebrating, or when did we first call this July the 4th celebration? Because we actually started celebrating in 1777. Right. Um, but we didn't call it Independence Day until... 1779 was the first recorded use of the name of Independence Day. So, again, little trivia that just kind of throws it out, but I am so interested in what our founding fathers had to say about money. This program's talking about money. We always do that. And so let's start. Abigail wrote to her son, Abigail being Abigail Adams, John Adams' wife. By the way, if you've ever want to read a great book, 
a book, uh, one of the best I've read, is, and I don't even remember the author all of a sudden, but it's John Adams. It's it's on the bookshelves today. It's one of his biographies, and it's really just letters between, you know, they did a great job of writing letters to each other. And you know what they focused on a lot was education. They did. They focused yep. on education. They focused on on teaching and learning. But exactly. the reality is they, they spent time where, where we don't write to each other. John and Abigail were prolific writers, and that's what this book is all about. So you get a lot of their personal history by reading this type of biography. But John Adams, we know who he was. Abigail, his wife, writes to their son, who yeah. eventually becomes a president, by the way, John hey. Quincy. But what does exactly. she say yeah. to her son? Great yeah, wisdom she here. was writing to John Quincy. She said, learning is not attained by chance, okay, but it must be sought with for with ardor, and attend to with diligence. Diligence. So, now, I read that slowly because <laughs> I wanted that to sink in. Yeah. Because we think we can get, in a world that we live in today, we think we can just get something the first time, and it it's it. Uh, yeah. And it takes time and patience on education. And, so. and it's just really what she was trying to say. And of course, if you've you know, read John Quincy's biography, and he was going through an enormous, one of the smartest presidents we've ever had, a lot of education. They focused on education. Of course, we talked about Ben Franklin, a pity saved as a penny earned. But let me, let me give you a letter from Thomas Jefferson that he wrote in 1787. Uh, this was John Adams, excuse me, John Adams writing uh, to Thomas Jefferson exactly. is what it is. John Adams writing to Thomas Jefferson. He said, all the perplexities, confusion, and distress in America. Now, that could be written today. Mm-hmm. Okay. All the perplexities, confusion, and distress in America arise not from the defects of the Constitution, not from what in of honor or virtues, so much as from downright ignorance of the nature of coin, credit, and circulation. <laughs> I mean, he's kind of laying it out to Thomas Jefferson. The biggest problem we got in America in 1787 was how we handle money. Sounds familiar. Don't you think, Art? I mean, it kind of like it kind of jumps right out at us. It is reality. We still seem to have a problem with coin. I like the way you put it, coin, credit, and circulation. Yeah, and then following that up, his daughter, Martha Jefferson Randolph, wrote in 1808, too. She says, but I know nothing more important to inculcate into the minds of young people than the wisdom, the honor, and the blessed comfort of living within their income to calculate in a good time how much less pain will cost them by plainest style of living, which keeps them out of debt, than after a few years of splendor above their income to have their property taken away for debt, and when they have a family growing up to maintain and to provide for. And that's Thomas Jefferson writing to his daughter. Daughter. Uh, yeah, right. Martha. Martha. Right. And uh, the reality is what he's saying is just spend your money wisely. And yep. that's kind of one of the fundamentals that we want to talk about today is if we look at Thomas Jefferson writing to, you know, and they, of course, back then they didn't have credit cards. They didn't run around and, you know, it's so, it was a little bit more difficult. But they're even writing at that point. He says, calculate in good time how much less pain will cost when, the, when this, this plainest style, I love that, just a plain style of living. So he said, calculate the cost. And then live within your means. And so very, very fundamental. That's Thomas Jefferson to his daughter, Martha Jefferson Randolph, in 1808. Jefferson knew what he was talking about, and he says that uh, he not only inherited debt from his father-in-law, he also lived beyond his means 
And when he died, he estimated he still owed about $107,000. So he was a man that knew what to say but didn't always practice it. And, you know, that's a critical part for a lot of us. Uh, I think Thomas Jefferson wanted to be a wise person when it comes to handling money, but I think by inheriting the debt, it continued to just it continued to stay at him, and that's one of the problems Thomas Jefferson has. If you read about it, it's a, he was a Southern planter. He was a very. You look at his counterpart, Alexander Hamilton, who was a very frugal individual, mm-hmm. and we could talk about him too. But here's another one, Ben Franklin on the magic of compounding. Now I'm going to read this because it's a quote. It's 1748. What did OBN say? Yep, and it was written to a guy that uh, it was from his his writings from an old man. He says, but it's to a tradesman, and it's a little difficult to understand as you read it, but it's. It's really about the magic of compounding. So just remember now, I'm I'm reading from words that we might not use today, but words that would have been very much real for Ben Franklin as he's writing. He says, remember, and this is a quote, remember that money is is of a prolific generating nature. That's Mm. important. I mean, if you get that, that means money makes money. And that's what he's trying to say. Money can beget money, and its offspring can beget more. That's a great way. I like the way he says it. I do, too. That says it all. And so on, he says. Five shillings turned into six, turned again is to seven and three pence, and so on until it becomes a hundred pound. The more there is of it, the more it produces every turning so that the profits rise quicker and quicker. Now, let's just talk about what he's saying. Can I ask you a quick question? Yes, sir. You have grandchildren? I do. All right. I, that was a loaded question. Yes, because I knew that. You probably did the same thing that I've done recently with my grandkids. I asked them, I said, would you rather, I'm Poppy, would you rather Poppy give you a penny a day for a month and double it every day, or would you rather me give you $100 a day for 30 days? Which one did you want? And <laughs> they chose $100 a day. Yeah. Uh, but the right. other one makes more money. Exactly. So that's Ben Franklin. Yeah. I told him, I said, now, this was what Ben Franklin would have said to you. So there you go. Now, go ahead with your question. Well, no, the thought process that I'm really thinking about with Ben Franklin is he's talking about the idea behind so many times we get caught up. And one of the things we see a lot in the practice is that the people spend money they don't have, mm-hmm. and they're trying to save money, but they get caught up in spending and the habit of spending and the you know the needs, wants, and desires mindset. Mm-hmm. I need this. I want this. I desire this. Well, Ben Franklin is trying to say, hey, you know, this compounding magic of compounding is taking money and putting the money to work for you. So what we try to tell people is it's all right to have needs, and you know, you've got to meet your needs and wants. That's no problem. But be careful on your desires. Do some savings. Set some money aside. Set some savings aside. Let it work for you. And that's what Ben Franklin was saying back in you know 1748, prior to this Declaration of Independence. And it's wise counsel in 1748. It's wise counsel today in 2015. Manage what you've got and let it let the money work for you, and it makes you money by doing that. Just the magic of compounding. Jim, in the 1950s, when you and I were both in like the fifth grade or sixth grade, I can remember Miss Hazel. I was in kindergarten. I was, excuse go. me, I wasn't well. in school in the 50s. Just wanna, you know, I want to make that clear. This I was is truth. Not in this school. is truth radio right here. <laughs> But I can remember Miss Hazel O'Leary, my uh, my fifth grade teacher, teaching me three verbs, and she said these three verbs are going to last you throughout your life, and they're going to be have, do, and be. And those three yeah. verbs, and I today, I'm sure you find like I do that those are three verbs that we talk about almost daily with our clients: is what do you want to have, what do you want to do, and what do you want to be? Yeah, that's a great. 
Good, good point. It's good, that simple. Good thoughts. Good, simple thoughts from a teacher that obviously made an impact on you. Big time. And she also was in my father's Sunday school class, so <laughs> I couldn't get away with anything. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Let me talk about Ben Franklin again because uh, he's one of my heroes when it comes to money. He says, an investment in knowledge always pays the best interest. Mm. Investment in knowledge. And one thing that, that I feel that you know is, is never wasted is money and is time spent on purposeful education. That's what he's trying to say. So he's learning, and he's saying basically, genuine, engaged learning where we're really trying to understand. So we talk about this program's talking about investments. The, you know, you can go to you know, the library. You can go back to school. But it, that's a great way of spending time and energy to learn about a topic you know, that you want to go, that you're growing as a person if you're learning about something. So time and money spent learning and growing is among the most valuable things you can do and that's what Ben Franklin was saying. It increases your body of knowledge. It allows you to understand and solve problems of a new variety, and it gives you a skills to share with the world. And that's, uh, that's important. You know, I'm reading a book right now that uh, it's, it's How to Read a Book. The title of it's How to Read a Book, and it's by Mortimer. I can't remember his last name. I remember. I, uh, I don't remember his last name, but I do remember. I haven't read the book, but I've but heard some good reviews about it. I actually read the book in 1973. I was taking a class at University of Memphis on how to read, just reading, you know, learning better to read. And I read the book then. Well, I've now picked it back up. And it is amazing because this is what Ben Franklin's saying, an investment engaged in learning and spending the money and time and learning and growing, it's valuable time because it, it's making me go back and think, okay, I've gotten it and some bad habits in my reading, and this book, How to Read a Book, is really back to teaching me that. So Ben Franklin, you know, an investment in knowledge always pays the best interest. Here's one from John Adams. There are two educations. One should teach us how to make a living and the other how to live. And that's where earlier when we were talking about his sweet wife, Abigail, yes. and her high priority of education. And it must have paid off because they were the first president and son yep. to follow that's as a true. president. Absolutely. So. At the same time, you know, when you think about this couple, you know, John and, and Abigail Adams and the thought process, what he's really saying, it says it's not just the learning, but how do you share it? Mm-hmm. How do you take what you've learned and how do you share it with someone else? And so it is generational. Sometimes it's the dad teaching the son, the mom teaching the daughter. If you're not doing the teaching aspect of the learning, in other words, you learn something and you're teaching it, you're kind of missing the real flip side of it because if you learn something and just hold on to it, not a good thing. So as we learn about money, as we learn about life, life is a lifetime journey, a lifelong journey. So the reality is spend the energy and take the time to do some teaching. I know from my perspective and when I teach people about money or teach people about other things that I have an opportunity to do at time from time to time, as the teacher, I'm spending an enormous amount of time preparing, and I learn a lot more than the student ever does. And so I think a practice that we would want to do from this statement from John Adams is if you're going to learn something, learn it to teach it. That's right. And therefore, you're learning it better. It cements it into you. Forever and ever, once you've taught it, because it comes back and you later use it again and again. So I, I agree with you. It's uh, it's being prepared as a teacher, and then as your students come back, like Miss O'Leary, when I yeah, told her absolutely. one time what she meant to me as far as a teacher. So very important. Well, what about Thomas Jefferson? Well, you know, you know? we talked about Thomas Jefferson again, and because yeah. he had not done as well as he had said, even though he had written the notes to his daughter, yep. Martha, about, you know, live within your means, don't overspend. He had some other great statements. Yep. One of them was, we must make our election between economy and liberty 
our profusion and servitude. Yep. So uh, the whole idea between abundance, that. well, you know, I want this money and servitude. I want this or this. One of the way, you know, I've got to make a decision. And he's really talking about financial independence or financial dependence. Mm. And that and that's what uh, we find in daily with folks that come into Absolutely. our office and folks that are out there listening right now. You know, who are you going to be a slave to? We're well, going to spend less. We are in control of our own money. If we spend less, if we don't, we owe others. Even the Bible tells us that, you know, you get shackled. You, you know, the lender becomes the, I mean, the borrower becomes the slave to the lender. And uh, that's kind of what he's talking about. If we spend outside of our means, we are no longer in control of our money. We owe others. We don't have freedom to change our employment. We don't have freedom to make other decisions. We end up uh, chasing the dollar regardless of how oppressive or soul-sucking the work is. That's a great statement. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've had soul-sucking jobs soul before. Suck. <laughs> you know, what a job. But, you know, this is a guy that's writing something from experience. He obviously was finding himself in debt. He had lived above his means. And so here he's saying, you know, we must live, make our, you know, make our election between economy or liberty or profusion and servitude. That idea of abundance or servitude, and I mean, soul sucking. The how oppressive of soul sucking the work is. What a statement! What a statement! Well, now let me counter that one with uh, the first president of the United States, yes. George Washington. Yep. Here's a guy that. He was known for tracking his expenses. He was. You know, know, he was meticulous. Uh, very much so. Listen to a few words that were stated about George Washington. He was a man of few words, first yep. of all. And, uh, and But by his actions, the old Library of Commerce records that uh, these things. Washington was a master of tracking his money, and when he appointed was commander, was commander-in-chief of the Continental Army in 1775, guess what? He says, I don't want any salary. I'll take this job for no salary. Right. Instead, he agreed to do what? He agreed to get reimbursed for any expenses after the war. So Congress said, yep, that's fine. We'll do that. And he proceeded to record just about everything from brooms to mutton to, <laughs> for payment to the soldiers. And Washington was, he, like you used the word meticulous, they used the word meticulous about being a record keeper. And although some of his uh, founding fellows died in debt, not George. Yeah. George went down in history as one of the richest men of, of his time. time. You know, you think about George Washington, and you, you realize that this was a guy that probably did everything not to be great, mm-hmm. but didn't want to that, that accolade of greatness, but he was a great person. Here's the guy that could have said, yeah, I'll be king. And that would have made him king. Right. But nope, that was not his thoughts. He was a very astute businessman, very astute. And when the, the point we're trying to make here, he was a record keeper. He kept records. He managed. I mean, it, it's kind of like, again, the Bible says, know the conditions of your flocks. Mm-hmm. That's really what he was doing. He knew the condition. He managed things from a perspective of taking good records and looking at it, and he was known for that. And so if you if you read his biography, you go and find out that some people might challenge him and say, well, wait a minute, that's not correct. And he would produce a document or produce a record that could have been 10 years old, and he would say, well, wait a minute, this is exactly what we agreed to. And, I mean, the other person's going, oh, I didn't know you kept records like that. And that was what yeah. was happening. So a great lesson from a great leader is to keep meticulous records, and, and I think that is so important for us. But, you know, he he was uh, not just uh, a great meticulous leader. Now, again, here's a thought that he, he says, and I think this is probably one of the most profound 
leadership things. In fact, I tell you what, I'll tell you what he's going to say when we get back, because George Washington was a man of a few words, as Rob said, but he made some great choices. And when we come back, I'm going to nail this one for you. George Washington, he said, associate himself with men. And I'll tell you more about it when we get back. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Podcasts of the Talk Money program are available for iOS mobile devices. Go to the iTunes store and search for Shoemaker Financial. Talk Money will return right after this. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities. From insurance needs to college funding, retirement, or estate planning, Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker Financial, it's not just the plan, it's the results. Make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Remember, financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. We've been talking about what our founding fathers stated about money and how they managed their time and their whole idea behind some of the fundamentals that these guys believed in back before and during the signing of the Declaration of Independence, the writing of the Constitution. These are our founding fathers that, you know, we looked at today as being the guys that were the pillars of the of the community. They were dedicated men. They were they were you know, definitely Americans through and through, and uh, they were had some wise sayings. My guest with me today is Rob Clement, and we were just kind of mine, mining through some of the thought process that they had and kind of to give us a review. Let me kind of talk about what we've already said, Rob. Ben Franklin on savings. He said, a penny saved is a penny earned. Then we go to John Adams, the importance of financial education. I love this comment. Coin, credit, and circulation is the fundamental problems with America, and uh, we need to learn how to manage coin, credit, and circulation. And then Thomas Jefferson talked about living within your means. He wrote his daughter, and uh, he just wanted her to know that, hey, you know, I love the comment, a plainest style. Mm. You know, the the fact that uh, a simple style, don't get so extravagant. Live within your means. Ben Franklin comes back and tells us the magic of compounding and just putting your money to work and not just burying it in the backyard. He did that in 1748. And then Alexander Hamilton, he actually talked about agricultural commodities, how to multiply all this true wealth and prosperity, and, and the reality of – of course, Alexander Hamilton was probably the – Profound economist. He and Jefferson battled back and forth. Fortunately, I think uh, Alexander Hamilton won. One. He um, he is kind of our economic father. He started the whole idea of the free enterprise system and uh, very much a part of what we have today. And then Abigail Adams writes to her son. You got Thomas Jefferson writing to a daughter. You see how that's working? Mm-hmm. Then you have Abigail writing to her son, John Quincy, about learning is not attained by chance. She really says the importance of education, good education. Education, spending time, taking the time to go through the education process. And then you actually talked about George Washington and his meticulous tracking of expenses and how it was so profound that he always seemed to have a pretty good idea of what was going on around him. 
financially, and uh, he ended up being one of the richest men of his time as a result of that. But George Washington also had some What things. else did he I say? I mean, this is what I – this is great. He talks about – and this is, this is what we said just before the break. Associate yourself with men of good quality if you esteem your own reputation. Now, that ponder that, guys. Ponder that for just a second, Art. I mean, you think about it. Associate yourself with men of good quality if you esteem your own reputation. It is better to be alone than in bad company. I can tell you, there's probably people listening today that's going, amen, amen, amen. <laughs> because I promise you, a lot of times the trouble we get into is because it's not because we are going to be out there doing it, but we get caught up in the bad company. He says, you have to look at this over and over again if you're going to be, be you're going to be impacted by people that you associate with. Their opinions, their attitudes, their reputations Rub off on you. Evidently, my father must have read George Washington. I'm sure he did. I'm sure you heard the same thing I did about those words. He said, if you want to fail, surround yourself with negative people with a history of failure. If you want to succeed, surround yourself with people committed to succeeding. What You know, that's a statement that we just – that ought to be plastered in everybody's desk and everybody's Mm. school desk and every – just associate with yourself with people of of like-mindedness, and that like-mindedness is is positive, you know, uh, affirming, uh, good reputation-type people, and it rubs off on you. If you'd run around with the negative side, you're going to rub off on you that side too. Boy, that could be something we could all learn from it. James Madison – James Madison, uh, you know, one of the uh, great, he says, commercial shackles are genuinely, are genuinely unjust, oppressive, and I love this word, impolitic. I, I, um, I was going to go back and Google that one. Well, I'll tell you what it means. Okay. It's expedient. It's just the whole idea of uh, it's non-politic. It's, it's, it's quick, and uh, it happens. Debt is a very painful game to play is what he's saying there. You cannot, and we talk about that. If you're going to manage your finances, manage your debt, start with that first. The word shackles, as he used it, is uh, pretty descriptive of that whole concept of what the Bible says. It's, you know, the borrower becomes the slave to the lender. Shackles is what he used. He says commercial shackles. Well, that's oppressive. He says debt is oppressive. If you're stuck in debt, you're stuck. I mean, you can't hardly get out. So avoid it. Try to avoid it at all costs. You can't make choices that you want to make for your life. You can't to pay the education. You, you know, if you get caught up in debt, you, you know, you can't switch jobs. You can't, you know, buy a home. Uh, you can't start your own business. And um, everything like that eats right into it. Jim, I was introduced to a, a, a man that you and I spoke about before driving over here this morning, Larry Burkett. And you introduced me to Larry. Dear friend. So Larry did that over and over again on the radio. Right. Uh, he just spoke all about how to just keep a simple lifestyle and to get out of debt. And he's a guy that was brilliant right? Uh, in his first career. What, what was his first career? Oh, he was actually part of the Apollo 13. I mean, he was worked for the Apollo project. As an engineer. So, so he was an engineer, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And then later was called into being on the radio. radio. And, well, I actually did just, a, you know, the whole idea behind 
Christian financial concepts, the whole concept behind teaching biblical principles uh, of what God says about money and how to manage money from the biblical perspective. In the Bible, there's over 2,000 scripture that is just basically talking about how to manage money. So people forget that. There's more information there than any other subject about just how to be a good steward. Yeah, the word shackle. captured that. Yeah, Yeah. he used that word word. shackled. You know, Dave Ramsey's built a a radio empire just focusing on debt, and that's another thought process for to understand that debt is a very painful game to play. So what we want to say to you is stay out of debt. Stay out of debt. I'm going to talk about Alexander Hamilton when we come back. Uh, He is my hero. He's a guy that if you really read about him, he just had a great mind when it comes to commerce. It comes to the whole idea of uh, financial, the the makings of the finance and how the commercial, the the free enterprise system. And he does a great job of that. I'm going to give you a quote about him when we come back. But first, we've got to listen to Rebecca Brazier. She's going to give us the history moment and the Mid-South history moment. You don't want to miss that. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. Helping you make the most of your money. Talk Money will return right after this. The Peabody Hotel is a landmark virtually synonymous with the South. Like so much of Memphis life in the 1960s, the hotel's beginnings were surrounded by the joys and sorrows life brings. Saddened by the news of his good friend George Peabody's death, the hotel's builder, Colonel Robert Brinkley, named his new building after his friend. Brinkley later gave the hotel to his daughter as a wedding gift. Though the hotel remained in the hands of the Brinkley-Snowden family for decades, it was forced to close and reopen before settling on its present location on Union Avenue in 1925. Since that time, the Peabody has been an important center of culture not only for Memphis and the Mid-South, but for the whole United States. During the 30s and 40s, the hotel hosted one of just three live national radio broadcasts, while the Skyway and Plantation Roof were an attraction for the great big band dancers. But the hotel's greatest and most enduring feature will always be the Duck March. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. Well, again, if you just tuned in, we're talking about what the Founding Fathers... Did in uh, back in 1776 with the Declaration of Independence. A little history about the Declaration of Independence, but a little bit more about what these guys had to say about money, about learning, about debt. We talked about James Madison just a few minutes ago. Commercial shackles are generally unjust. He talks about debt is a very painful game to play, and that word shackles, uh, as we said, Rob, is just a very descriptive word. I mean, I can see it. It's oppressive. The Bible says the borrower is the you know the slave to the lend- the lender is the slave to the borrower. I'll get that right. The lender is the slave to the borrower. I mean, that that visually gives me something in my mind that says I want to stay out of debt. I don't want to get caught up in debt. I don't want to create debt. I want to you know manage my debt. I'm not saying debt's wrong or terrible, but just manage debt. Manage it so that you're not into this painful game that uh, James Madison was talking about. Exactly. And as we go to Alexander Hamilton. Well, I was going to do that. Go ahead. No, that's all right. I mean, I just like him. He says, in a general course of human nature, a power over a man's substance amounts to the power over his will. Now, you think about that. If I control you financially, I control your will. Mm -hmm. 
And so, we, again, he's tying it right back into if you've got yourself into a position where you don't have money, you don't have reserves, you don't have the ability to not be in debt, and you put yourself into that, that position where you're, 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 you're basically the slave again to the borrower, you've borrowed the money, he's basically saying you're completely at the mercy of the people who pay you or the people who you borrowed money from. You'll jump when you say jump. When they jump. say jump. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the thought about it is, I guarantee you when a person borrows money and they're buying something or whatever it is, they don't think about that. No. That's not, that's the further, I want this, I want this, I want this, whether it's a car, a television, a vacation, or whatever it is. And all of a sudden, or, or even if it's a business loan. I mean, I, I, I've got a guy right now that I'm working through with some issues with him. When he was borrowing money at the rate he was borrowing, yeah, they loved him. They were going out and taking him out and, you know, giving him things and because you know, he was it. Mm. And now he's financially in trouble, and they won't talk to him. They won't return his calls. He feels like a slave shackled Shackle. to this problem that they have. And, I mean, all of a sudden, it's unenjoyable. Mm. You know, when you get to that point in life, it's unenjoyable, and that's a problem. John Hancock says the greatest ability in business is to get along with others and to influence their actions. And that's important. I mean, he's talking about communication. He's talking about stating, you know, when you have a position, state your position, convince others to go along with you. And that's just all about communication. And uh, he says that will serve you well for success no matter what what path of life you choose to so learn to communicate. Yeah, you know, and John, we all remember him. If I think we took a quiz and said, did John Hancock sign anything? We'd all go, yeah, yeah, yeah I know yeah, the yeah, answer yeah. to that one. So you put your John Hancock on something. But the thing that he really deposited into people was that statement you just said, is the fact of being a critical thinker. And oh, that is an cool. area today that we need. We need more critical thinkers. Well, we do, and he was a communicator. And, you know, yep. you got to realize that John Hancock was a wealthy businessman in Boston. Yes. I mean, this guy was not a, um, you know, an Oso-ran. This guy had it was very, very successful, and his rebellion was against basically tax that Great Britain was, right. was putting on us. And he gave it all up. I mean, he pretty much, uh, I won't say went bankrupt, but he literally allowed it all to go away. They took his home. They took his business. I mean, he was oppressed. But he stood firm, and I think what he's saying here in this whole concept is that he was literally saying, I'm communicating, I want to communicate what I see, and I will do it well enough to get people to follow me. And he spent time and energy and effort to do that. He communicated with others, he stated his position, and he convinced others to go along. Great leader when it comes to gathering people around him, because at first he was not the most trusted guy, because he was kind of the elite Mm -hmm. of the elite and the other guys were the tradesmen and workers and, and guys that were kind of rebelling you know, from that standpoint. But John Hancock was a guy that stood out totally as far as the Boston group, not the Southern Thomas Jeffersons or the George Washingtons in Virginia. But the reality is he was in that Boston group and a very, very wealthy businessman that pretty much gave it all up because of what he believed in. That's, yeah. that's a statesman. That's standing for something and standing firm for it. You know, we've learned a lot about these guys. I mean, it's the thoughts of personal finance from our American founding fathers. You've done a great job of helping me go through this. Let's review real quickly. It says, um, the, boy, you hear the thunder and the lightning, and, I mean, we're having some weather in Memphis. I just That kind of shook us up a little bit here in the studio. Um, an investment in knowledge always pays the best interest. That's from Ben Franklin. He's just telling us to spend the time and energy to invest in what you're learning. A penny earned, a penny saved, it is, is a penny earned. Uh, John Adams, the opportunity, you know, the, the importance on financial education again. 
Uh, Thomas Jefferson, living within your means. Again, that simplest. And, of course, he did talk about that uh, uh, particular statement that I think Art thinks is a pretty good statement, and that's that <laughs> soul-sucking job, the oppressiveness of a soul-sucking sucking work. I like that. And, and again, if you could a, see Art right I now. Mean, I, I mean, that's, uh, that's the main thing, you know. I mean, he says, you know, we must make our election between economy and liberty or profusion and servitude. And he's talking about if you get caught up in that where you get into that servitude again, that's basically what everybody's saying is stay out of debt if you can. Keep stay within your means, and we are having weather. It's going to be raining in the studio, it looks sounds like, <laughs> if it's not careful. Uh, and, of course, Abigail, you know, she says the importance of education. You really get a theme from these guys, don't you, Rob? Oh, absolutely. It, it's, it speaks quickly to the proper priorities in life. And I think that's critical. Let's make sure we get it. Stay out of debt. Yes. Because if you don't, you end up being the servant to the person who's lent you the money, right, you know, lender. you're shackled again from those statements. The second one, I guess, is spend the energy and time to learn. Yes. Get some knowledge. Get some. Don't allow yourself to be just, you know, as, as they said, ignorant in what you're trying to do. Spend the time to learn and, and understand. And then uh, George Washington was so critical when he made the comment. He says, kind of choose who you run around with. Yeah. Keep good records. And it was a good statement for him. But But most importantly, uh, stay with it and kind of make sure you're not just running around with the wrong crowd. If you're going to be positive and want to be successful, run around with positive, successful people. Right. Great subject, great thoughts. Well, we've had a good time. When we come back, I'm going to give you a couple of things to avoid when it comes to what's going on in the market. I mean, we've had a shaky market. So I'm going to give you some things to avoid. Just a few minutes. You'll want to stay with us because it'll take just a few minutes to give them to you. So uh, when we come back, it'll be some ideas of what to do to avoid when you go to investing. Be with us when we will be right back after this. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search for Shoemaker Financial. Talk Money will return after this. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities. From insurance needs to college funding, retirement, or estate planning, Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker Financial, it's not just the plan. It's the results. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Podcasts of the Talk Money program are available for iOS mobile devices. Go to the iTunes store and search for Shoemaker Financial. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. Well, we want to make sure everybody's going to have a great, happy 4th of July. But also, the market's been kind of doing some up and down movements. So I want to give you a couple of things to avoid when it comes to investing right now. Well, Jim, the first thing I think is simple words, B-A-R, bar. All right. All right. Your beliefs drive your actions that drive your results. That's a great thought. Action, beliefs, actions, and results. Results. So putting that in perspective, here's the first thing. Don't follow the herd. I want you to be careful with that. People get caught up in what everybody's doing, and don't do that. The herd tends to gather the most strength right before the uh, investments are, you know, you're chasing them off the cliff, and that's so easy to do. And what we want you to do is you follow your rules. Be careful not to respond to what the news media is saying. We've been listening about Greece. 
you know, Greece uh, is is important, but it's it's uh, pretty much in the market today and already been uh, kind of dealt with and stuff. So be careful. Don't follow the herd. Don't get caught up in what media is telling you. Be disciplined is what I think you should do, and just stay with that. What's number two? Don't don't be an emotional investor. Uh, when you think about emotionally investing, you know, we got this psychology that goes on since 2008. That's been a real problem. Uh, we we kind of get – we don't believe the market sometimes. So try to keep your emotions out of that. Put the volatility out of your mind that's going on. Uh, you know what I like about some of our investors? When I call them about what's going on and what happened this week with the downturn of the market over 350, you know, they, their emotions, they've got that out of their mind. They know – their time horizon, they they got a short-term, a mid-term, or a long-term. They focus on that. They don't get caught up in what happened today. So number one, number two, number one, don't follow the herd. Number two, don't be an emotional investor. Very important. But number three is uh, make sure that you are diversified. Check with what you're doing. Make sure you're rebalancing. And, and as you rebalance and diverse, those do not guarantee that you're not going to lose money in the down market, but they sure help you understand. And also it helps that loss being less than normal. In most cases, the wise investor sells some winners when it's time to sell them and buy some losers at least once, or, you know, twice a year. And you keep your asset mix where you want it to be and what you're trying to accomplish. Make things simple. That's number four. Make things simple. Don't get so caught up in being complicated. You don't need to diversify 50 times. Keep it maybe seven, eight, nine times. Make sure that you understand how your portfolio works. Long-term money should be a small group of low-cost investments. Seek advice. Just be just be simple with it. Absolutely, Ron. yes. And and it's so important to uh, not get complicated. That's exactly. You know? But then last but not least, it's just – Stick to your strategy. Stick to what you said you were going to do, and don't get caught up in what everybody else is trying to do. Don't follow the herd. Rebalance. Don't let your emotions get you caught up in things. Keep things simple, and then develop a strategy and stick to it. I, You know, Rob, this has been one of those programs I've thoroughly enjoyed it. We talked about some things of history. Always important to do that, and I appreciate the fact that you're with us today, and thank you so much, sir, for staying with me today. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll get out of here without floating away later on this morning. Well, I've learned some things, too, so it's been a pleasure over on this side of the mic. So uh, how are you going to wrap it up today, Well, Jim? you know, we got a couple of things. I, I happen to love what we're going to do today. We're going to play a song from Lee Greenwood, and uh, I think everybody knows the song I'm talking about. It's my favorite. But let me think, Art Frederick. That guy that talked about soul-sucking jobs a while ago, producer and board operator. This is not one of them. Yeah, no. I got you. Guest and uh, <laughs> content coordination by Francis Fortner, production assistants Eleanor Moskovitz and Katie Brashear. And in compliance, of course, I try to handle the compliance along with Jeff Long. And Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. Guys, thank you so much today. It's going to be a great Fourth of July, even though it's raining. Enjoy it. We hope everybody is safe. Stay out of trouble. We'll see you next Friday. Today, 
Jim Shoemaker and Rob Clements are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by as research or investment advice, nor should it be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. The Standard & Poor's S&P 500 is an unmanaged group of securities considered to be representative of the stock market in general.